Amen, amen, amen. Again, we're talking about the scriptures or, as you might say, the Bible. Um, praise God. Now, now, let me say this. There are a lot of, when we say Bibles, and I'm talking about the Christian Bible, all right? Um, 16, 11, you know, we say that version. You can get into all those things, but we're talking about this, this scripture that we use, amen. And, 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 you know, there are all different, what we call types of Bibles. Now you find all the different translations, this translation, that. Uh, I've got all kinds of Bibles. I've got the one that says the original 1611. It's a copy. It's not the original, it's a copy. And it's got all the wording that you would, if you were alive at that time, you know, it, it's difficult to read because they use F's where we use S and different stuff like that. But uh, when we say the scripture, we're talking about what we know is common uh, to us, taken from the original scriptures and the canon of texts that, uh, that we use. Amen. The scripture, and I know there are Bibles where you can say the Catholic Bible and, and there are Bibles with all what we call the Apocrypha books in them. Got all that. Got it. I'm talking about what we use as the church. Amen. What we use as the church. And so we want to identify this. Let me go over, before I get into uh, that part, let me go over some definitions because you're going to hear these words and when you hear them, I want you to understand uh, what they mean uh, at, in, in, in relationship to this lesson here. So the first word is inspire or inspired. Inspire or inspired. And again, you can just you know, copy the word down and then you can look it up and do a little, little uh, etymological study on it yourself. It means to influence, move, or guide by divine or supernatural inspiration. It means God breathed. Uh, and I want you to think of it like this, uh, like your breath. God breathed. The Bible says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. So the breath that comes out, every time you speak, breath comes out of your mouth. And so when, when you're a good example uh, or scripture reference for this would be 2 Peter 1.21, holy men of old spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. <coughs> then the next word is inerrant. Inerrant. I-N-E-R-R-A-N-T. And it means free from error or infallible. Now, here's when, 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 when someone says, um, well, you know, I mean, I believe part of the Bible, but I don't think the Bible is without error. Which part? Which part? Because what happens now, you as a man, when I say man, I'm talking mankind, you become the arbitrator. You are saying what's real and what's not, what's true and what's not true. And, and you know, when, when, you, when that happens, it, it, it usually boils down to what I like is true. What I don't like, well, I don't believe that part. The word of God is all or none. 
It's all or none. Hallelujah. You can't be half saved. Hmm? Half saved is all the way lost. Huh? And so once you, if you settle that, then it ends the mind battles that people have. And they wonder, well, why do you have a mind? Well, I don't know if I believe that part or not. You don't know if you believe. Friends, this is what we call faith. And it's not talking about, you know, well, okay. And, and then we just run up behind something. No, because the word of God, Paul told, told Timothy, he said, study. Study. He admonishes us to check it out. See if it's so. Hallelujah. <clears throat> then the word scripture itself, <clears throat> excuse me, appropriately by way of distinction, the books of the Old and New Testament when we say scripture. Then the word canon. The word canon means to set, to establish, to form a rule. In the ecclesiastical affairs, it's a law or a rule of doctrine or discipline enacted by a council and confirmed by the sovereign. Now, you know, if you've been here for, for a length of time, you know, we, we watched the, uh, the uh, documentary called The Indestructible Book. Now, if you've never seen that, I would, I would uh, urge you to, to take a look at it. It's still online. I looked at it. I didn't, didn't look at the whole thing, but I pulled it up this past week and just looked at a few minutes of it, wanted to make sure it was still on there. It's called The Indestructible Book, talking about the Bible. And you know, if you say, well, I don't believe, you're not the first one. You won't be the last one. Do you know how many people have tried to destroy the Bible and all it did was cause it to spread? One man, he was a man of, of wealth, and uh, this is when they were just really, when printing was really just coming online. The, the Guten, what was the Gutenberg Press or whatever that, it was called, something along that line. But anyway, he thought, you know what I'll do? I'll buy all the Bibles that they print and destroy them. That way the Bibles will be gone. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is, is so far ahead of us that we never catch up? And so, of course, uh, God showed them the plan that let him buy the Bibles, but charge him four times more than you charge anybody else. So for every Bible they bought and burned, they printed four more. <laughs> so it's the, it was like him sowing a seed. You, 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 you cannot outthink, outdo. Remember, God is omniscient. He knows everything, and he knew it yesterday. Since to him there is no yesterday and there is no now and there is no tomorrow. He's eternal. And so when man tries to match wits with God, <laughs> I mean, God doesn't even have to slow down. So, so, and that's happened time and time and time and time and time again. Someone says, we're going to get rid of Bibles. They collected all the Bibles in this country, and they burned them. They collect, and what happened? Usually, human nature is when you try to tell somebody they can't have it, what does it usually do? Make them want it more. Make them want it more. 
<coughs> and you would think as long as Satan's been around, he's not an eternal being. Uh, he, he wasn't eternal past because he was created. He's a created being. But you would think as long as he's been around that he would have figured something out by now. But he hasn't. So, scripture, it's getting off the canon. The canon, that word canon also means the books of Holy Scripture called the sacred canon or general rule of moral and religious duty given by inspiration by God breathing that word out. Then our next word is doctrine. The word doctrine means to teach in a general sense. It is, doctrine is whatever is taught. It's our doctrine. Then we'll hear this word here more uh, in the uh, Catholic realm, dogma your dogma, a settled opinion. You know, when you say some things you can be dogmatic about, some things you just say, well, there's some things we must be dogmatic about. Jesus is Lord. There's no way to the Father but through him. Hmm? Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's dogmatic. That's dogmatic. But there are some things like when people start, we start talking about uh, when is Jesus coming back? Uh, and we get our calculator out. He'll be back January the 16th, uh, 2022. Uh, we already passed that 20. Oh, like your car, you know, re, 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 uh, re what is it called? Reroute. Well, let me read. You know how long people have been doing that? Y'all remember back in 1988, God was supposed to be coming back and these fools were selling their houses and sitting out on the bridge. And I'm thinking, okay, why are you selling your houses? You can't take the money to heaven. What's the purpose of selling your house and doing all that and going sitting? Look, you don't need to go sit out on the bridge wherever you at, God knows. He can get you wherever you at, under the bridge, on the bridge, building the bridge. So, you know, when you start believing all that, that stupid stuff, it's just ignorant. All right, then the last word, dictate or dictation. To order or instruct what is to be said or written, the act or manner of uttering words to be transcribed. That used to be a big thing in the office buildings. You know, your secretary they did shorthand, now you just talk or write your own stuff. You know, I, I, I remember when, uh, uh, this was, I guess, in the, in the late 90s, when we were getting computers fielded, and, and they were taking away, I'm talking about working for the Army, and they were taking away all of the secretaries, and we were like, well, what are we gonna do without secretaries? And they said, well, you're gonna write your own memos, because they gave everybody a, a computer. And, um, and so you had to start writing your own memos. And, and I think we had, we had like one secretary in the whole office. And then of course, the, the executives had their own secretary, but we had to share a secretary. And we had one in the whole office and you had to type your own papers. Well, who gonna, who's gonna make sure it's spell right and all that stuff? Well, get a dictionary. So it, it kind of changed things. But let's get into this. So I want you to have those definitions so when we hear these words, we'll be on the same page. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, the scriptures. The Bible is far more than the best-selling book of all time, and it still is. Best, think about it. Best-selling book of all time. 
It is, the Bible is the voice of God speaking to us from a written page. And, and we hear this a lot. God told me, God said to me, God said, son, do this. God said, God said, God told me this. Now, um, just do people hear God? I hope so. Because, you know, folks show here the devil. I hope they hear God uh, saying, speaking. But the number one way that God speaks to any person, to any person, is through his word. The word will answer probably about 99% of everything. From the standpoint, listen to, listen to me, the, this, the word, the logos, that's the written word. And then the rhema, which is the spoken word, okay, we hear God speak to us directly. Like, in, in the logos is not going to tell me to move here and buy a blue car and live on this block. Okay, the written word is not going to tell me that. But the Holy Spirit will lead me and speak to me to go to this place. Go, go now. Go do this. Call that person. But the biggest part, the more familiar we are with the written word, the more clear his spoken word will be to us. The clearer his spoken word will be to us. And... The thing that we know, uh, and, 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 and I'll point it out to you here in just a little bit, is that these words do not conflict. That's the thing you got to walk away with. That's the, that's the big takeaway. Because when I hear uh, people say, the Lord told me this, or the Lord spoke to me that, and you know, wonderful, great. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God, God didn't speak that to you. You trying to say, I didn't hear God? I know you didn't hear that from God. Because God and his word agrees. Just like you and your word should agree. All right? So um, let, let me give you an example of people. You know, we have some, they're always going to be extremes. Whatever move is in the earth is always going to be extremes. Just like uh, we say, okay, you can, uh, you can speak Speak the word into existence. You know, whatever you want, you can speak it into existence. Is that, is that a general principle? Yeah. Okay. But, like one lady, and this, I'll, I'll give this example of something that happened. This one woman, this way back in the, I think it was the early 70s or something like that, maybe late 60s. Well, she was saying, I'm, I'm going to confess it and possess it. Well, what was she confessing? She's going to confess that Kenneth Copeland was her husband. How many of you know there's, there's more than one thing wrong with that? What's the biggest thing that was wrong with it? He was already married. The Lord showed me that he's going to be my husband. You're lying, and you're lying on the Lord on top of it. Hmm? Well, what's going to happen to her? Well, you know, the Lord will just call her home and get her on out the way. But what if she's believing to live a long and prosperous life? Because she said the word promises that. So which one is God? I mean, you, you got God here going, now what should I do? What should I do? Should, which prayer do I answer? Oh, give me a counsel. Put, call, call some folks in. Let's, let's talk about this. No. The word clearly says, thou should not covet another man's wife. How clear is that? 
And that, that goes in the reverse, too. So you can't disagree with the word, blatantly disagree with the word and think you can just say anything you want to say because the word of God has already covered that. It's really just that simple. And once we, once we, once we stop fighting the word and trying to make the word fit our situation and just obey the word, it becomes easy. Hallelujah. It takes all the what ifs out. So, so we'll hear that word that's on the written page, this book, this written word of God. And, and that, that word will begin to build up on the inside of us. And I'm telling you, a, a, a love for the word of God and conviction will rise in your heart. Not condemnation, conviction. And that'll begin to lead you. Because, you know, let's think about it like this. Uh, as, natural, as natural things go, and Jesus even said this. Jesus said, I do always those things that please him or his father. In the natural, what, growing up, we wanted to do things to please our parents or guardians, whomever. Was, we wanted to do things to please them. I mean, we run home with our little, little like I was talking about my, my, my second grade teacher. We, and we made an A and got a star on our paper. We wanted to show our folks. We wanted to be pleasing. And the more we, we read the word of God, the more we want to be pleasing to him, the more we want to follow his word. Because we say it. We want to hear, what is that we want to hear when we see him? Well done. Thy good and faithful son. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we want to stay, we want to stay um, with that word, those words on the page. Now, the Bible, well, let me get this. Some people, when they read the scriptures, how it, this, let's talk about how it affects people. And, and, and probably all of this, all of us at some point or another have gone through these things or going through these things, how the word affects us. Because some people read the scripture and they cry. Uh, some laugh, because there's some funny stuff in here. Uh, some scorn. I don't believe that. You know, some scorn, some weep, some wonder. Wow. Man. I go out, I go out at night. I mean, I particularly love it in the fall on a nice, crisp, uh, moonless night out in the country where the sky is black and what shines? And I go, wow, man. And I think, these are the same stars Abraham looked at. The constancy of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is the same. Mm. And you just get blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when you get into that word, you are never going to be the same again. You cannot, no one can come in contact with the voice of God and ever be the same. I'm not saying that you get saved, but I'm just saying you can never come and have an encounter with God and ever be the same. Nobody. Hallelujah. You may get worse, but you're never going to be the same. So, 
The Bible records the creation, the fall, and the redemption of man. It is God revealing himself and how he deals and how he does things to his creation when we read the Bible. It's re every time you read the Bible, like people say, well, I want to know this God. Read the Bible. Every time you read, it reveals more of who God is to you. You want to know? Read. Read. And the more you read, the more you want to read. The theme of the Bible is the story of redemption. And its main character is who? Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the promised fulfilled Messiah of the New Testament. Save me. I mean, think about this. We live in a time where we may, I believe with everything in me, this is not dogma, okay? This is not even doctrine. I'm just telling you what I, my personal thing here is I believe we're the generation that will see Jesus return. Hallelujah. I'm a bank. I got. I, I got to do. I mean, I'm. I'm gonna get up there with Jesus, but I got to do some banking moves. <laughs> you know. I'm. A, I'm gonna do some banking moves. Some of y'all gonna be scared. You're gonna be like, ooh. Lord, can you hold us all up here? I'm going to just come by you like doing nine million miles and whoo, and make you flip over a couple of times. <laughs> hey, come on. Man. So I think we are. In, in, in the Word of God, the Bible, what we call the Bible, contains 66 books, approximately 40 different writers over a period of 15 centuries. This is a miracle in itself to have one document that it takes 1,500 years to write. How can someone who, who lived 1,500 years ago, they write something and I finish it, and it all melts together and we never met. Don't even know the subject matter of the person that we're writing. But I can go to Peter and he, agree, he agrees with Jude, and I can go to Jude, and he agrees with Job, and I can go to Job, and he agrees with 1 Corinthians, and I can go to 1 Corinthians, and it agrees with Leviticus. How do you do that? Glory to God. Because God, the author, one author, over 40 different writers, but one author, and he's been alive the whole 1,500 years. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, think of all the different people and types of people that wrote, that wrote the scriptures. And this is another thing I love about the Word of God. It wasn't some just, you know, some highfalutin, big-time person that everybody would know. No, you, you, and you did. You had kings that wrote, priests. You had princes, tax collectors. Don't, say, don't be mad at tax collectors. Doctors, lawyers, teachers, prophets, shepherds. Hmm? Every walk of life, every manner of life, all these different people that contributed to the word of God. We have uh, 
Old, the Old Testament prophets, we have them divided into major prophets and minor prophets. Not because uh, one of them gave a word that was so much heavier, so we call them the major prophets, or so much more important, and the ones that, yeah, what they said, yeah, you can take it or leave it. They're minor prophets. No, it's about the volume. The minor prophets didn't write a long, lengthy uh, uh, book. The major prophets did. That's why they're called minor and major, not because one word of God is as important as the next word of God. Hallelujah. So this, this is a, a miracle. Now, why should we study and believe the scriptures? Well, one reason is because Jesus did. <laughs> That's where he found himself. He found himself in the scriptures in the book of Isaiah. That's how he announced his ministry to the world. He opened the book of Isaiah and read it. Hallelujah. We should also study the Bible because it's how we get to know God. Job 20, 21. The Bible is considered the greatest literary work of all time, with Job being the, the, the crowning jewel. Now, you've heard me tell this before, some of you have. Um, in literature, when I was in college, taking literature, one of the, one of the uh, things that we studied was the book of Job. My professor went through, what is it, 42 chapters, I believe. <laughs> went through all of them. And he didn't do it to try to get us saved. <laughs> he, he, we studied it as a literary work because the literary world considers Job the greatest piece of literature ever written. So people read and, and study Job and, uh, uh, and they have no inkling to be saved. But you know what? Job talks about it. He says, well, I know my Redeemer liveth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the Bible is both historic and scientific. Archaeological studies confirm its accuracy. Isn't it amazing? Well, you know, science is over here, and they saw all that old Bible stuff, and then the ar archaeologists get to digging, and they go, uh, well, what we found actually agrees with the Bible more than agrees with your theory, your scientific theory. We were, when we were uh, uh, in Israel a few years ago, and I know they were talking about they, of course, they're always arguing about the Temple Mound. Uh, you know, is that where the temple was found? Well, one of the latest things that they found, well, two things they had found during that same time frame, is where the original uh, city of David, his, his palace was, and they, had they were excavating it, and they already put some stores in there. And then the other one was where the Bible was saying, this is where the Temple Mound was. And of course, other groups were saying, no, it wasn't there. But guess what they found? They found a button off of what would have been one of the high priest's vests, right where the scripture said the Temple Mound was. Believe the science. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so, so this, this, this Bible, it, it, it's all of that. So we should read, and then people now today will say, uh, well, you know, you don't need to read the Old Testament. Well, why should we read the Old Testament? Once again, that's what Jesus read. There was no New Testament. 
He found himself and his purpose in the Old Testament. Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach the gospel. He found himself in the scripture. And, and, and that, um, the Old Testament, let me go back. The relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament is both progressive, continued prophecies coming to pass. I love it. We are, think about it, just like we're talking about, we're seeing all these things now. My mother was here upon the earth when Israel became a nation again, and some of you out there may have been also, 1948. Think about it, friends. We are living as scripture, major parts of scripture, prophetic voices in scripture, I should say, are coming to pass. Knowledge shall increase. Remember the Jetsons? Some of you. Y'all remember this? The watch? Where, where uh, what was the Jetson father name? Was it George? George Jetson. You remember that he used to talk to his wife on the, on the, and that was so far. I mean, there was like, they were in their little jet cars and, and it was a cartoon. But it's like, that can never happen. You know, nothing, nothing was even digital at that time, I don't think anything was even digital. And now, I bet there are people in here that have those watches. And you know, you can be talking to someone and you see them do this. I was talking to someone the other day and, and they kept looking at their watch and I'm like, they just saw what time it was, why they keep looking? It was not the time they were looking at. They were looking at messages and whatever else, updates, and the queen is dead, long live the queen, and yeah. <laughs> all that stuff, reading. And, and just think, the scripture says that knowledge would increase. That was one of the signs of the last day. And so when you look at all the prophecies from the Old Testament, and you just start numbering, prophesied completed, prophesied completed, prophesied came to pass. And it's one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And look at all the players today that are coming on the world, world scene as, you know, the villains that, that the Bible said they are. Russia, China. The bear, the dragon. Hmm? You read the scriptures. If you study your scripture, you read the newspaper if you can believe it anymore, and you, and, and you be like, wow, 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 wow. And it's right there. And, and what should all that say to us as believers? Jesus is coming soon. Soon. There were other points when, even though Israel had become a nation again, now think about what happened within the last, what has it been, five years? Israel became a nation again, but they did not have control of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is what? The city of the great king. Hmm? Where is everything supposed to happen? Jerusalem. We're even going to have what's called a new Jerusalem. Not Tel Aviv. Jerusalem. And, and, and 
the whole world's going, well, I mean, see, the Bible's not true because Jerusalem's not even recognized as the capital of Israel. <laughs> Don't you love it the way God does things? God doesn't get nervous and go, what am I going to do? They're, they're, they're not, oh, they're just not getting it. But he sends someone who will do what he asks him. And it may not be the person everybody thinks that should be, be there. And now, what's the capital of Israel? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Prophecy given, prophecy fulfilled. And again, we often, because when you're living in the moment, most of the time, you don't recognize it. It takes a historical look back to see what was really going on. The seven-day war that took place, when they thought Israel was gonna be wiped out again, didn't happen. Hallelujah. All right, let me. So that's, those, those are things that, now, I wanna go over three things about the scripture here. Number one, the scripture is, the scriptures are, plural, they're inspired. So we say Holy Scripture, we're talking about the whole book, but every verse. The, the Holy Scriptures are from the breath or mouth of God himself. And even though he used holy men of old to write as he spoke, and as, as I stated earlier, if we were in the old business model, those men would just be dictating what he said. Now, he did use their personality. God didn't interfere. God could tell me and you the exact same thing, and when it came out of our mouth, it would reflect each of our personalities. He's not going to have a cowboy talking like somebody from New York. Okay? They're probably going to put it in terms of roping a cow or, or, or something, where a New Yorker may, may use it in terms of riding on the subway. Hmm? I know I... I was uh, in a, in a up north speaking another state, and, and I said, you know, down south we have a saying, you put the whole skunk on the table, and they just went to pieces. <laughs> it was like, yeah, put the whole skunk on the table and let it stink. That's the only way you can get this stuff cleaned up. And so every time I would go back up there, they would say, are you, are you gonna mention the skunk again? <laughs> <laughs> I, when I was in Colorado a couple of years later, speaking up there, and, and, and they said, you gonna mention the skunk again? <laughs> I said, we'll work the skunk onto the table. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, you know, it, God, God speaks. So he, he, he speaks through us. This word of God, yes, you got all these different writers, but it was God speaking. Hallelujah. Amen. So the scriptures or the Bible is not just another book. It is alive. It is alive. It's still moving. And that's what Hebrews 4.12 tells us, that the word of God is quick or it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharpening a two-edged sword, dividing the sun to even uh, soul and spirit. Like it cuts between in the marrow, between the joints, in the bone. 
The word of God is the only thing that can separate soul and spirit. Hallelujah. Is the word. Because sometimes, you know, you, you, your spirit is saying one thing, but your soul is tussling with it. And then the word comes in and says, okay, cut the emotions out. Here's the word. Because your, your emotions will overrule if you don't have the word in place. Hmm? And as we say, you'll get in your feelings. Glory to God. You can get in your feelings, but you still have to follow the word. So the Bible or the scriptures, the scripture is inerrant. It is eternal. It is the never failing word of God. Listen to all men for all time, for every occasion. For all men, for all time, for every occasion. It's there. The, the, the word that we have will work anywhere in the world where it's put to work. We, we, because we live in this affluent age in America, we, we really, we haven't thought that we're not that old on the world stage. 240 years is just not that old. Just, I mean, it's just a, a baby. And, and people see America as this uh, you know, wealthy nation and they don't think about the founding of it. And when we stop teaching about the founding of it, not flawlessness of it, you're, not, you're, you're never going to get there, but the founding on our Judeo-Christian faith, principles of faith, this is what sets us apart from all other nations. Not our machinery, not our military, certainly not the other stuff. But it's because of the word of God. The word, when you, if you do any, you don't even have to do a deep dive study. Just pick up, you know, writings, even from the 80s. And God is all over. His imprint is all over everything. Everything. Thank you, Lord. All right. So, and understand this, <clears throat> there is nothing in this life that is not directly or indirectly covered in Scripture. God has such confidence in his word, listen, that he put heaven and earth on, line, on the line if even the smallest part of his word did not come to pass. Let's take a look at that. Go to Matthew chapter 5. God is not nervous about anything. And there's nothing that's so big <clears throat> that he said, well, 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 I, you know, come back tomorrow and, and let me see what we can get, get, get for you. <clears throat> Look at Matthew 5, just one verse there, verse 18. Jesus speaking, said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, that's how we say dot the I and cross the T, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He says, heaven and earth, he said, I would destroy heaven and earth. It would just obliterate into nothingness before my word fails. That's the confidence that we can have in his word. Listen, your experiences don't change the word of God. Nothing does. 
God and his word are one. 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So the Holy Ghost is not going to tell you something different than what the Father says, and the Father is not going to say something different than what his word says. So we, we have that confidence. Glory to God. God and his word and his word are no different than a man and his word in that this whether the man keeps his word or not determines who he really is. Is he a person of integrity or is he a liar? Kind of simple. You don't keep your word. You don't make good. Then you're a liar. If God doesn't make good on his word, he ceases to be God. He would have to destroy himself. Who do you think is standing by listening to every word of God to try to catch him in a lie? Satan is. Well, we, we brought up Job earlier. And, and Job, go, go to Job, go, go to Job real quick. We, I, I think we can take the time to do this. Job. Right before Psalms, Job 1. Look at this. <sighs> Glory to God. Look at verse 6. Job 1 and verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. <laughs> and Satan came also among them. They, the sons of God came to worship, and Satan came among them. Why? What was his purpose? And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? What are you doing? What, what, why are you talking about Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for nothing? There's a reason he fears you. Listen, God has not... Has not thou, uh, Satan still speaking, has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and has increased his substance in the land. What's the problem with Job? I mean, with Satan? He's upset because God's man is blessed. Y'all kind of hear some things like that around Folk get upset when the man of God, I ain't talking about some charlatan, I'm talking about the man of God. When the man of God get blessed, hmm? And Satan is always trying to catch God in a lie. Look at the next verse, what he says to God. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he had, and he will curse thee to thy face. Wow. He's trying to tell God, here's Satan. Right, standing right in front of God, telling God, he's not all you think he is, God. So what is he saying? That God is not omniscient. So you got to see that in there. He said, I know things about Job that you don't even know. The reason, the reason he, he serves you and worships you is because you done blessed him with all this stuff. He's the richest man in the East. That's the only reason he serves you. Wow. But what happened? What happened? 
God says, who had the hedge up? Who said the hedge was up? Satan. Satan said, you got a hedge about him, I can't get to him. Satan had not looked over Job's way for a while. Had he noticed and been paying attention, he would have seen that the hedge was, was getting weak and some of it was down. But how do we know that? Because of what, what Job was saying. What did Job say? Job said, he said a lot. <laughs> okay, let's narrow it down. Job said when, when the things start happening to him that Satan did, not God, Job said, the thing that I have greatly feared has come to pass. Why was Job in fear? Fear knocked down the hedge. He had everything money could buy. But because his children were party animals, and instead of trusting God, he started just offering up sacrifice every, turn, every time he turned around and fearing that his children were going to offend God instead of just walking out. But Satan wanted to accuse God about his word. And I want to make like God don't know what he's talking about. And he's always trying to do that. And guess who he tries to convince now? You and I. God doesn't love you. If he loved you, why he let this happen? If God loves you, then why are little children going hungry? If the Bible is true, then why this and why that and why this and why that? On and on and on and on and on. We said, wait a minute. Hold up. Let me just say this. If, if I put you, if, if I had everything money could buy, and then I just, and I, and I said, if anybody needs something, you know, children need food, clothes, whatever, uh, here are the keys. You just go into the storehouse and you give it to them. And I leave. Now, who owns that? I do. It's all mine. But who's in charge of it? The person I gave the keys to. So am I letting children starve, or is the person I gave the keys to allowing children to starve? The person I made the steward over. Who was the steward of my children? Me and my wife. We were the children over our, over our steward. <laughs> children. <laughs> Reverse that some kind of way. And see, friends, we, we miss it because we say, God did that. No, the earth hath he given to the children of men. There is no food shortage in the world. We can grow enough food here in, in Arkansas to just about feed the world. At one point, we grew enough rice to feed the entire population of the world in one, one little state. Well, what's the problem? Distribution, the heart, the governments. North Korea, how does he keep those 25 million people in line? By starving them. Is there plenty of food on God's green earth? Yes. Then why are billions starving? Because wicked people are are set in high places. Not because God is letting a, chill, a child starve. God did not do this to Job. Satan did. Because Job 
kept talking about, he's worried. He, he did not keep his hedge up. Hallelujah. See, we have to stick with the word of God, friends. Hallelujah. So, so we got to understand. Then, so number one, the scriptures are inspired. Next, the scriptures, they are a sure word of prophecy. A sure word of prophecy. Now listen to this. Although Peter walked daily with Jesus for more than three years and personally witnessed and participated in untold numbers of miracles, he still declared in 2 Peter 1, and you read verses 116, that 116 through 21, that the written scriptures were more a sure word of prophecy than an eyewitness. Think about that. Peter said, we were on the mount with Jesus. We saw him transfigured. We saw Moses and Elijah with him. But we have something that's more sure than what our eyes saw, our ears heard, all of our physical senses can witness. We have something that's more sure than that. And what is that? What's written down in the word of God is more sure than what all of my physical senses to put together witness to. You ever heard somebody tell a story once, then next time you hear them tell it, it was a little different? Hmm? Have you ever done it? Pretty much every time. But what if you read it and then you come back to read it again? Is it going to be different? It's going to be the same. What if you put it on the shelf and come back and pick it up 20 years later? It's still the same. Still the same. Still the same. That's why, you know, people say all traditions and blah, 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 blah. That, that's all fine in this place. But what's the sure word? The sure word is the written word. It's the written word. And that's where we can be confident. Hallelujah. So it is that sure word of prophecy. And then the last thing. So the Bible is, the scriptures are inspired. It's a sure word of prophecy. And then the last part here, the Bible is for doctrine, for correction, and reproof. Yes, it is for reproof also. Now, we read our assignment, let me put it like that, was to read Psalms 119 this week, right? What were the conditions? Out loud and, and in one setting, okay? out loud and in one setting. But if you read that, if you did that, then if you look at uh, Psalms 119, verse 9, verse 11, verse 18, verse 29, verse 36, and verse 66 through 70, 67, those two verses, and then the last one, 105. These, these are just a few benefits written down in, in those scriptures there that this young man declared to God about what his word was doing in his life. What the word was doing in his life. Hallelujah. Nothing about our lives or God 
God's word has changed except for man. We're, we're the piece that changes. And if we stay with the word of God, which doesn't change, now, the thing that changes about us, we can change for the good or we can change for the worse. What has happened with man? What is, the scripture says in the last days, evil man will wax worse and worse. Right? How is that happening? Well, it's through technology. You name, you name sin, and it's, all, it's always been happening. But it's now the proliferation of sin. Remember I was talking about that little watch? The little phone? And all these technologies that we have? And, and, and now, now, you know, they used to have those movies, the, the big 3X movies, and people would run in there. Now you don't have to run, you don't have to hide, you just sit there right there on your phone. Pornography is one of the biggest issues going today. And it used to be, you know, just dirty old men, as they used to say, which was never the case, it wasn't just that. But now there's a problem. Now when I say a problem, I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about in the church. Now there's a problem with women getting hooked on porn. It's, it's a big issue. Because we, we got, how shall a young man cleanse this way? By taking heed unto the word of God. That's how he cleanses his ways. The word will cleanse us. The Bible, the husband is told to wash his wife, cleanse her, bathe her in the word of God. Now you don't tear paper, you know, books out the page and go in there and start scrubbing her. But speaking the word. Hallelujah. All right. So if we would stay with the word of God, Jesus, that word will always be fulfilled. Hallelujah. This is the scripture should be the most important thing in our life. Studying the word of God. Because that's what's going to govern and control everything else. Stand on your feet. Praise God. The scriptures. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I heard a lot of stuff growing up about God because we were religious people. Religious people. And I have to say that most of the things I heard as I, when I got older, meaning in my mid-20s and got saved, I really got to know the Lord and began to read, I found out that for the most part, that was just tradition, what I heard. It did not comport with the word of God. It did not line up with the word of God. It lined up with our culture. It lined up uh, what I was told with maybe what was happening presently. But it didn't line up with the word of God. It just didn't line up with the word of God. When I saw people uh, in church and making a difference between people, whoever you are, you know, whether you had money or didn't, and that made a difference. The way you looked, it made a difference. What family you was in made a difference. 
what color you were made a difference. And then I read the Bible and it says God is no respecter of persons. There's, there's no editing that. There's no trying to fix that up. And all that stuff was coming through the church. But when you get in the word, and it tells us to love. Love conquers all. Love doesn't take into account all those things. People holding grudges and, and uh, unforgiveness for decades. Hmm? And I'm talking about church folk. And when you mention what the words say, some of them will even say, that's the church stuff. That's for the church. What? Aren't you the church? Aren't you the church? And it just don't apply the word to their everyday life, husbands and wives. Hmm? Just don't apply the word to their everyday life. This has to be what leads, what, what you live on. What does the word say? Hallelujah. What does the word say? 